Hello, everyone, and welcome to the eighth episode of Phoenix Feather Fantasy Book Reviews, brought to you by JustAnotherStrugglingWriter.com. My name is Carrie Share, and I am Just Another Struggling Writer. Well, everyone, as you might be able to tell from my absence last week, April didn't exactly go according to plan for me. In addition to some pretty sudden and drastic changes going on in my workplace, I also was sick and was struggling a little bit with some high anxiety and um, in the middle of it all, uh, a reading slump. So I took a little bit of a break, both from reading and from writing and from as much online engagement as I'm used to, just to kind of get my head back on straight. Like I said, I normally suffer anxiety, but the last week or two have been particularly bad. So I just needed a little bit of a break to kind of mentally reset. And now I'm back with another great review for you. Now, you may have noticed from the episode title that I'm not going to be reviewing an indie book today, even though April just ended. And that is because I really, really struggled to find an indie book that I could get through. After Order of Sharon, I tried to go back to 11th Cycle and I just, I just couldn't get through it. And I learned a valuable lesson in that I, I really should just pick my indie books a little bit more cautiously because unfortunately, not all indie books are created equally. And some of the titles I chose to try and read last month just suffered a little bit from lack of editing. And that made it really, really hard to read. And that contributed to my reading slump because it was just so discouraging to get 50, 100 pages into a book and feel like I've completely wasted my time and I'm just miserable. And every time I think about picking it back up, I'd rather literally do anything else. So I apologize to indie writers out there who are doing their best. I get it. There are just some thresholds there for me to be able to read an indie published book all the way through. And I, I, like I said, I'll just be picking and choosing those titles more carefully going forward. That said, I am really excited about the book I'll be reviewing for you today. It's from an author that I had not read before that I, and I really, really enjoyed his work and I look forward to reading other books by him. So today I'll be reviewing Shadow of the Gods by John Gwynn. I will be doing a spoiler section this time, but don't worry, I will be tagging it as usual. Here's the synopsis. Set in a brand new Norse-inspired world and packed with myth, magic, and bloody vengeance, The Shadow of the Gods begins an epic new fantasy saga from best-selling author John Gwynn. After the gods warred and drove themselves into extinction, the cataclysm of their fall shattered the land of Vigrith. Now, a new world is rising, where power-hungry jarls feud and monsters stalk the woods and mountains, a world where the bones of the dead gods still hold great power for those brave or desperate enough to seek them out. Now, as whispers of war echo across the mountains and fjords, fate follows in the footsteps of three people, a huntress on a dangerous quest, a noblewoman who has rejected privilege in pursuit of battle fame, and a thrall who seeks vengeance among the feigned mercenaries known as the Bloodsworn. All three will shape the fate of this world as it once more falls 
under the shadow of the gods. So the first thing I'm going to say about my reading experience with this book is that I read it on mostly on audio, which I kind of regret now that I'm familiar with John Gwynn's writing style. I think I would have preferred to have read a not necessarily a physical copy, but at least an ebook of it. That being said, uh, listening to it on audio did teach me how to pronounce some of these Norse inspired words that I would otherwise have been like, huh? So grateful for that. And speaking of the writing style, it was a lot different from what I have been reading and what I'm, I guess I would say familiar with reading. It's a little bit more, I'm not sure what the word is. It takes its time. My, my kind of writing style tends to kind of rush from one event to the next and I don't really labor over description. Whereas John Gwynn takes care of description and I don't feel like it was too much. Like, God love him, but Tolkien labored over description too much, I feel like. John Gwynn takes care of his description. The writing style does feel a little bit more thoughtful, I think I would say. It's just a little bit more atmosphere driven. I don't even know if I would say atmosphere, but very, it, it takes its time in building the world in such a way that like it feels like a real place. And I really appreciated that. Like I said, it's it, it was a different kind of style from what I have been reading of late. And while <clears throat> my own style kind of tends toward get to the next bit of action next, don't spend too much time dwelling on the trees and the air and all that stuff. I really felt like it, it lends itself well to the kinds of stories that John Gwynn tells. So I really enjoyed the writing style. As for the story itself, as the synopsis says, we follow three main POV characters. The first is Orca, who is a former warrior of some sort who has kind of settled down with her husband and now has a son and they are basically hunters and trappers and they sell pelts and skins at the local the local village market and that's just kind of a it's a very kind of peaceful existence and then of course something changes that I will get into into the spoiler section then we have Varg who is a former slave who ended up killing his slave master and he went on the run and he's seeking vengeance for his sister who was murdered and in seeking that vengeance, he is thrown in the way of a mercenary company. And then we have Elvar, who is part of another mercenary company. She's been with them for quite a while, but we later find out that she is the daughter of a very powerful Jarl, and she has given up the life of privilege to kind of seek the warrior's way. Now, I really liked this book, but one thing I will say about it is that the plot feels like it kind of meanders a little bit. It's not really clear what the actual overarching story is. Orca is introduced to us first, and so it's easy to take the approach that she is the main character and that her quest, which is actually pretty straightforward, it's the most straightforward of the three, that her quest is driving the overarching story, but ultimately it doesn't really come together what the central conflict is until the climax. So it does feel a little meandering and I was at as far as like 70% in I was like what even is going on here? But I don't really know if I would even classify that as necessarily a bad thing. Like I said, I really enjoyed the writing style. I really enjoyed how deliberate everything was. So I knew that I was being taken towards a climax, but I legitimately had no sense of what that climax was until it was on top of me. 
And in some ways, that's a good thing, because I definitely did not see the ending coming. But at the same time, the climax did kind of feel like it came out of nowhere. So I guess it's a good thing that I am digging the hook to the sequel, the climax and what's coming next. Because if John Gwynn had dropped the ball on that climax, I would not be interested at all in continuing with the series. But I can't really get into that climax without obviously getting into some spoilers. So I'm going to take a short break here and then we will dive into the spoiler section. For those of you who don't want spoilers, but still want to hear my final rating and the preview for next week, you can jump ahead to the 16 minute 47 second mark to hear the rest. Okay, so holy shit, where do I even begin? I guess I'll start by saying I wasn't actually totally smitten with the ending for reasons I will go into in just a second. I I was intrigued for sure, but for like I said, for just for reasons, I just wasn't like in love with the ending. However, the reveal at the very, very end that Orca is Skull Splitter chef's kiss so good i gasped and i immediately went back to my ebook copy and searched for the word skull splitter so i could read each individual mention of that famed character who was supposedly dead and oh my gosh it was so good and that had me hooked immediately i was like from that moment which i mean is like one of the last couple of lines in the in the book i was like all right i am all in on this so all throughout the book, you hear mentions of this character named Skull Splitter, who was like a famed mercenary captain who supposedly died. And it's just kind of a specter over the Bloodsworn, which is Varg's mercenary company that he ends up joining. And it's just so good. The reveal is just so good. Um, of course, I guess I should caveat this by saying, I guess it technically could be her husband, who um, Orca's husband, who unfortunately dies near the beginning of the book. But I, I would have to say... I mean, it, it seems pretty clear to me that it is Orca, just the way that she had described holding the long axe and how it felt to hold one again. I gotta think that it's her, which I love. Orca to me was the most relatable character, of course, being a mother on a quest to save her son. That really spoke to me. And so I was most interested in kind of her journey and that reveal at the end just totally sealed the deal for me. The reason I wasn't totally sold on the ending until that moment, however, is because I felt kind of extremely meh about Elvar. I liked her at first, but as that side story went on, I became more and more disenchanted with it. It seemed pretty clear to me that her company of mercenaries, the Battle Grim, I'm pretty sure they are, They're not especially good people. They are slave traders. They're hunting down people with tainted blood, um, descendants of the gods, basically, who, you know, the common folk loathe and, and, and hate and fear. So anyone with their blood, anyone with magic is... Um, either killed outright or sold into slavery for the powerful. And we first meet Elvar and her company when they are on a mission to capture one of these kinds of people. And, you know, I was like, whatever, okay, fine. You know, I buy it after that part. 
and then the next leg of their quest being, well, we want to find this lost site of the gods, this, you know, this famed place that's been lost, and we're going to do it just for money. It's like, you know, it's like very piratey, which whatever, but like, I just like, it was just really hard to root for that motivation when you've got Orca, who's on a quest to save her son, and Varg, who's on a quest to avenge his sister who was murdered. Like, it was just hard to feel like excited about such a blah motivation. And like, even at the very end when the climax is happening, first of all, Agnar's death, who is the leader of the mercenary company, was so like heavily foreshadowed. And more to the point, it felt kind of righteous actually because he is not a good person he is a slaver and he is contributing to the oppression of these tainted people so like i wasn't exactly bummed that he died and it was hard to feel bad for elvar that she was sad that he died which is not to say the people opposing him were on the right side. They unleashed a god ostensibly to go and wreak havoc and destruction on the land. So it's not like they were particularly good people. And they are ultimately the people who kidnapped Orca's son at the beginning of the story. So like, it just created this sort of sense for me at the climax that I didn't want either of them to win. I mean, I knew one of them ultimately would, and I didn't really want Agnar and his company to win because again, they weren't great people, but I knew that the the alternative was something worse. So I, I didn't like that feeling. I've said multiple times that I don't like reading or consuming media about bad people doing bad things just, you know, for selfish reasons. I'm not into that genre of fiction in any form. So, so as that part of the climax was kind of wrapping up, I was just like, just sort of feeling kind of down on it, mostly because like I said, I just didn't like that I had no one to root for in that and, and, and that was the big climax of the book. It, it Like, Orca's story didn't get a resolution, and Varg's story didn't really get a resolution. I mean, it got some explanations, which I'll go into in a minute, but, like, it didn't really conclude. However, this... And I know that Elvar's story isn't concluding here either, but this, this was the big moment of the book. This is what sets up the sequel. So to be so down on all parties involved, it was just... It, it just felt kind of gross. Again, the reveal about Orca at the very end totally saved it for me, which is kind of funny because it really has nothing to do with that climax, but it just got me so jazzed about her character again that I was, I'm, I'm willing to overlook that kind of meh feeling about the climax to go into the second book. So if Orca's storyline was my, was the high point and Elvar's storyline was the low point, Varg was right in the middle. And I feel like that is pretty accurate for how I felt about his story throughout the book. It started strong and the middle got really, really tiresome, but then it finished really strong. The reveal that he is tainted wasn't a super big surprise, but the reveal that the entire company was tainted was, and I really loved that. I really love the concept. I, it really like throws into sharp relief the, their camaraderie throughout the book because they have to band together protect, to protect themselves because again people like them are hunted and hated and feared and so that they are banding together and uh, using their powers only to you know what they set out to do as a mercenary company they're not really doing any 
evil with it. I I, I love that. It, they're very easy to root for. There, it's it's really really awesome. So although his story arc kind of got kind of boring in the middle, it kind of meandered. I wasn't like I said, I wasn't really sure where it was going or how to feel about it because Varg joins this mercenary company ostensibly because they have access to someone who can perform an, a magic ritual that he needs to extend his quest to avenge his sister. And it's kind of like Varg is very like he takes the immediate solution. You know, he, he's just very, very, he sees what's in front of him. And so he goes for it. He doesn't really think long term. And so that's how he gets diverted onto this mercenary company to begin with. So just like that middle part where he's in this kind of no man's land of he can't progress his quest to save his sister, but he can't exactly back out of what he's done either and leave the company is it just got kind of dull you know it just kind of got repetitive and dull but it was totally saved by his ending as well with the reveal and um his commitment to the company and everything i feel like i'm totally sold on his story arc going forward as well so that's really all I have to say about this one. I know it's kind of short and to the point, but it wasn't really plot heavy, oddly enough. Each character had their own arc, but a lot of it was emotional. So there's not just a lot of, to comment on in terms of the story, especially because the climax just snuck up on me so much and kind of felt dropped on my head. So ultimately, though, I really liked it. I really enjoyed the writing style. I'm actually going to pick up the sequel for once, which is not very common for me and ultimately i gave shadow of the gods four stars i know how this makes me sound but i'm really grateful to be putting april in the rearview mirror and not feel compelled to read strictly indie books i've actually got a decent list for may uh, a list of books that i like to read in may a lot of them i'm really excited about the first one I am reading and the first one I plan to review for you guys next week is The Last Tale of the Flower Bride by Roshani Chakshi. I'm about a quarter of a way into it now and it is totally different from the kinds of fantasy books I usually read. I don't even know that I necessarily would qualify it as fantasy, but it's listed as fantasy on Goodreads, so it counts for this uh, podcast. But like I said, it's totally, it's totally different feel. It's really, really kind of got like a literary feel, kind of gothic horror-y feel. So it's totally different from what I just read, what I have been reading in April and probably what I will be reading going forward. It's my my first book of the month book. Um, it's not actually, it wasn't actually an April release. It was a February release, but I just signed up in April and I didn't like any of their releases. So this is the one I chose and I'm glad I did. It's, it's definitely pushing me outside of my wheelhouse a little bit for which I'm grateful. I've also got some audiobooks I'm planning on tackling. I'm also going to get into Jade City by Fonda Lee. I've tried this one before and ended up setting it aside. I confess I'm not totally into the mafia kind of theme. Again, as I said earlier, I'm not into stories about bad people doing bad things, but I know that Jade City is so beloved in the genre. I don't feel like I can rightfully skip it. So that's on my list. I've also got the new Mark Lawrence release, the book that wouldn't burn on my list, and just some others. Um, the Stone Sky, the last book in the Broken Earth trilogy, which I have been putting off reading because of just the way the first two books made me feel. The full list, uh, my full TBR list for May will be out on my blog on Friday if you're interested in checking that out. Until then, though, I will leave you with the synopsis for the last tale of The Flower Bride. See you next week. 
a sumptuous, gothic-infused story about a marriage that is unraveled by dark secrets, a friendship cursed to end in tragedy, and the danger of believing in fairy tales. The breathtaking adult debut from New York Times bestselling author Roshani Chakshi. Once upon a time, a man who believed in fairy tales married a beautiful, mysterious woman named Indigo Maxwell Castaneda. He was a scholar of myths. She was an heiress to, the, to a fortune. They exchanged gifts and stories and believed they would live happily ever after. And in exchange for her love, Indigo extracted a promise that her bridegroom would never pry into her past. But when Indigo learns that her estranged aunt is dying and the couple is forced to return to her childhood home, the House of Dreams, the bridegroom will soon find himself unable to resist. For within the crumbling manor's extravagant rooms and musty halls, there lurks the shadow of another girl, Azure, Indigo's dearest childhood friend who suddenly disappeared. As the house slowly reveals his wife's secrets, the bridegroom will be forced to choose between reality and fantasy, even if doing so threatens to destroy their marriage or their lives. Combining the lush, haunting atmosphere of Mexican Gothic with the dreamy enchantment of the invisible life of Addie LaRue, The Last Tale of the Flower Bride is a spellbinding and darkly romantic page-turner about love and lies, secrets and betrayal, and the stories we tell ourselves to survive. Carrie Sher is an aspiring fantasy writer, content creator, and the mind behind justanotherstrugglingwriter.com. You can find her online on Twitter at Carrie underscore Share, on Instagram at Just Another Struggling Writer, and on Patreon, Ko-Fi, and Redbubble at Carrie Share. That's Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, Share, like sharing with a friend.